Welcome to The Way Podcast with your host, Bill Trofeski. For more, go to podcasttheway.com. Now, before I start this episode, if you have a young kid in your car, remember, listening to an episode is optional. And the views expressed in this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of the station. Now, let's get into it. My guest today is Caitlin Bailey. Once a former sex worker, is now an advocate for decriminalizing sex. She has written for Feist, among other names, and she is currently the Director of Communications for Decriminalized Sex Work, a national advocacy organization, and is the host of the Oldest Profession podcast, now, Caitlin, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on, Bill. Yeah, uh, I mean, as you as you said, I'm the host of the Oldest Profession podcast and a full-time advocate for decriminalizing the oldest profession. Nice. Yeah, it is the oldest, actually. I didn't even really, never really thought about that. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's one of the few jobs that's older than money. Got it. So let's start with the beginning. How did you get into sex work? Oh, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> that's not exactly where my life story begins. Um, I started off as an advocate before I got into sex work um, because I was raised in uh, in a pretty liberal household, but in a really conservative area. And so I experienced the abstinence-only sex education um, when I was uh, 15 and 16 years old in high school. And there was actually... Um, a Baptist minister's wife who came in in a nurse's costume. Uh, And I say that it was a costume because she had no medical training. Um, And she put glue on a piece of paper and then she stuck another piece of paper to it and she tore it apart. And she was like, this is what happens to your body when you have sex with someone, you pieces of yourself all over them. And um, I really rejected that view of the world. And so I got into sex work uh, as the only daughter of an upper middle class home out of curiosity and a nagging sense that I was being lied to about sex and my body uh, and power and money and all sorts of other big concepts. Um, And so I did, quote unquote, the worst the worst imaginable thing. Um, and became a sex worker at 17 and a half, my junior and senior year of high school. So what makes you want to legalize this? I don't want to legalize it. I want to decriminalize it. I want to stop the arrests. I don't want to create uh, a dystopian nightmare that only benefits brothel owners, which is what legalization is. Uh, The best example of that is the banana pants system that we have in Nevada, uh, which is the only state in the union with legal uh, regulated prostitution, and it has the highest arrest rate per capita in the whole country uh, for selling sex, which is crazy to me. Um, But yeah, I... Oh, sorry. How are people getting arrested if it's decriminalized or illegal over there? It's it's legal there. It's not decriminalized. So the only way to work legally in Nevada is to register with the sheriffs as a licensed prostitute, to be hired by a brothel uh, where you have to follow their a, a sort of dizzying array of state laws, county laws, city laws, and then house rules. Um, you have to give your uh, half your money to the house. 
Um, you have mandatory STD testing. And the fact that you are a legal registered prostitute is a subpoenable thing, of, a, a, a subpoenable fact about you for the rest of your life. So you can imagine how this plays out in custody cases or other civil cases. So there are a lot of good reasons why the overwhelming majority of the sex trade in Nevada is still happening in the black market outside of these tightly regulated legalized brothels. And that's what you get when you legalize something instead of decriminalizing it is you sort of erect uh, you know, these, these new rules and regulations that only end up creating a two-tiered system. But what we're trying to do is treat sex work uh, like sex, where if two consenting adults want to engage in sexual activity with each other, whether they exchange money or not is nobody's business and certainly isn't a crime. Got it. I don't, what I find odd is pornography is basically paying for sex, but with a camera. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we certainly don't believe in criminalizing any forms of sex work, uh, including the currently legal forms of sex work. But I will tell you that just because it looks easy doesn't mean that it is. And there's, you know, a lot more going on with pornography than just somebody paying for sex. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to have, you know, have it be perfectly legal uh, for two paid actors, right, to engage in paid sexual activity. But then just because there's an exchange happening there, instead of two actors being paid, it it doesn't, yeah, it's never made any sense. That makes sense to me. Well, the opposite. So you mentioned earlier uh, STDs. I found a study from uh, Huffington Post. 33 to 46% of HIV could be reduced if we decriminalize sex work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Decriminalizing sex work, um, you know, the World Health Organization, Amnesty International, um, in addition to like the ACLU and a lot of other human rights organizations, all agree that decriminalizing sex work is the best way to improve health and safety, both by reducing STIs, uh, including HIV AIDS, and also reducing violence um, and exploitation within the sex trade, because the way to, to help stop that is to take it out of the black market. And when people are no longer fearing arrests or when they're no longer being prosecuted for having too many condoms, um, as they are in many states still in this country, uh, then that's a way of improving um, safer sex, sex practices and self-advocacy um, from sex workers who, of course, are invested uh, in keeping their bodies safe. It was Huffington Post again, I believe. Yes, it was. One out of three prostitutes don't uh, carry a condom with them because I read that it could get you arrested and charged. Yeah, police departments have been using condoms as evidence uh, for prostitution for a long time. And it's uh, it's a really terrible um, law. It has a lot of adverse effects. Um, that one in three number doesn't ring true to me just because you know like statistics about criminalized groups are always kind of questionable so i have a lot of questions about sampling and who is asked all of the sex workers that i know and i know that i was certainly um a stickler for protection and i would say if you compared sex workers as a group uh to civilians most sti spread is happening between uh folks that are hooking up recreationally when you have a professional in the room you increase the odds uh, that protection is used and used properly. Got it. Yeah, you mentioned um, you don't like the statistics too. I found an article that said it's hard to get accurate data on stuff like that. So I'm finding these from sources for the audience, but it's hard to get accurate data because again, this is all like under the rug, kind of all if you get caught, you're arrested type stuff. So 
what kind of steps or what kind of goals are you putting in place to decriminalize that? Yeah, well, we have active campaigns in three states, and we're trying multiple tactics uh, in multiple places. So, you know, we're working with lobbying firms on crafting a strategy that you, that's unique to each legislative body. Uh, you know, in New Hampshire, we're really trying to educate lawmakers and pass a series of harm reduction bills. Um, in Rhode Island, we're trying to pass a study commission uh, that will engage local community members and local sex workers from, uh, you know, really have a robust uh, group and a longstanding um, relationship with like Brown University and other institutions. So bringing them literally to the table is one of our highest priorities. And here in New York, we're trying to stop the uh, walking while trans ban or the uh, arresting people for the practice of, of loitering for the purposes of prostitution, which is um, where the overwhelming um, number of arrests come from. Um, of course, this law is disproportionately used to target minority and trans communities, um, and we think it's uh, unconstitutional. It's the female stop and frisk, uh, and it should be stopped. So we're trying to stop the walking while trans ban, and we're trying to expand vacature, making it easier for people who have been arrested, uh, who have been victimized in some way, to have their criminal records um, erased so that it's easier for them to leave the sex industry, to leave the black market, uh, and find employment elsewhere. You said uh, Brown University. Anything going on with uh, UConn over here in Connecticut? We we aren't active in Connecticut yet, but we're working working around Connecticut. We look forward to working in Connecticut. Got it. All right. We're also talking to legislators in Maine and Vermont. Yeah, I get it. We're in the middle of Boston and New York City. We get the middle ground of all the attention i feel like <laughs> we will try do you feel like we could we could decriminalize sex work in connecticut do you feel like your friends are on board well oh yeah i asked my roommates too and they're like it's the my body my choice argument <laughs> yeah. and um so that's their stance too or their view and also for connecticut our governor he's been saying he's going to legalize weed for some years now we are supposed to be one of the next five and if we're not legalizing weed, I don't know if that's going to come anytime soon, but who knows? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Stance on legalizing weed? <laughs> well, I certainly hope so. What about something like DMT? Oh, definitely pro. The exact extreme of it. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think that DMT has a lot of therapeutic uses. Um, and I just know what prohibition does to markets. You know, when you push something into a criminalized underground, you, you make it safe, you, you make it less safe, right? You know, we know this to be true about alcohol. We know this to be true about abortion. We certainly know this to be true about marijuana. You know, with a drug like DMT, I feel like I would rather have it administered and prescribed in a doctor's office than like, you know, sold to kids at parties. Yeah, which actually kind of leads to the next thing I'm going to bring up too. One thing about prostitution I found is a lot of People, instead of, like, they sell for money, too, but there's also the selling for drugs. So would you be for safe injection sites to reduce? Uh, yes, I'm definitely pro all harm reduction techniques, including safe injection sites. Like, that That absolutely aligns with um, what I and, and most of the folks that I work with believe in. Um, but I will say that, you know, people do, people do sex work in order to uh, do drugs, but people do all kinds of labor in order to afford their drugs. So it's, you know, like people with money do drugs. That's, yeah, that's, I do not feel like drug users are overrepresented among sex workers. 
Yeah, in um, Connecticut, we have a few uh, wealthy towns like Avon or even Glastonbury, and that's uh, the cocaine, the rich man's drug. Right. <laughs> and, um, okay, so a lot of people are against it because either religious or they say it's like taboo. What do you say to people like that? Uh, I think that they have a lot of internalized misogyny to work through. And, you know, in terms of the religious argument, Jesus spent a lot of time with sex workers. He was a big fan. I'm not religious, but wasn't, um, wasn't like his girlfriend or his mother, wasn't one of them a prostitute? Mary Magdalene, it's complicated, but absolutely, you know, yes, yeah, some, some say that she was a reformed sinner, uh, a reformed sex worker. Um, she's certainly regarded as one of the more prominent um, early ministers of the Christian church. Um, and whether she did sex work or not, Jesus demonstrated over and over again that he was willing to look past those particular sins. Nice. Okay, so decriminalizing sex work, what kind of impact would that have on pimps in that industry? Yeah, pimps are an invention of criminalization. We didn't see pimps in the sex work economy. The majority of sex work took place in brothels that were actually run and often owned by madams. But once we start arresting uh, women on the suspicion of loitering for the purposes of prostitution or spreading venereal disease um, or, you know, soliciting, then you need a male escort in order to move freely in public spaces. So this is when you start to see pimps who are taking over the economy because men are allowed to travel in public spaces without being suspected or arrested for prostitution. So sex workers end up employing uh, these folks, and then that creates the potential for an exploitative third party. But it's fear of the police that pushed people into the arms of pimps. Hmm. Okay. And you said the economy. I feel like one argument that I feel is really easy, knowing our government, is illegal prostitution worldwide, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, makes uh, roughly $10 billion. So just go to the government, tell them, hey, listen, tax some of that, and boom, money. <laughs> well, I mean, I will tell you that most of the sex workers that I know are already paying taxes, uh, just like most of the comics that I know are paying taxes, just because you're being paid in cash, um, as any bartender will tell you, doesn't mean that you don't have to report. Okay, but doesn't, um, I worked a pizza job, and I was paid under the table, and I didn't have to pay taxes for mm -hmm. that, so... Do a decent amount of still for Well, yeah, but no one's going to arrest you for delivering pizzas, so it's probably less important that you have, like, your I's dotted and your T's crossed. But if you're engaged in criminal activity, then it's important that you don't leave a loophole by not doing the, the IRS filing correctly. Got it. All right, that makes sense. And yeah. are you familiar with the Norway model? Yeah, absolutely. We call it the, uh, we call it the entrapment model. Some people call it the end-demand model. It's the idea of arresting uh, men, right, who are framed as buyers and pimps and trying to end the demand uh, for sex, which is, I think, ludicrous on its face. Yeah, and it's still legal for the prostitutes, right? Well, what they say is that it's decriminalized because they perceive um, all people engaged in the sex trade to be victims. But this narrative makes no space for the lived experience of sex work, which, of course, is complex, right? Um, all genders, right, both sell and buy sex. This is not an economy where only, you know, straight men are buying from uh, straight cis women. That's not 
what you know the ecosystem of sex work looks looks like. Um, there are no clear lines between victims and villains, right? It's interconnected systems of people who are you know referring each other um, in a black market, and so the police uh, and you know folks, some folks in the anti-trafficking world would really like to frame themselves as as rescuers, uh, but more often than not, they are putting vulnerable people in handcuffs. Got it. So I went in demandabolition.org to find some arguments against legalizing sex work. And one of their arguments is the Norway model, because they say it cut it down of prostitution by nearly half. There's no evidence to suggest that that drop may, you know, sustained after an initial drop. Uh, most uh, researchers agree that demand has returned. Um, but what we do know is that the impact of that drop was not good for sex workers or victims of trafficking. You know, I think it's important to remember that at its core, sex work is a sales job. So if you liberate somebody from their customer base, you haven't actually helped them so much as you've, you've given them a whole new set of problems to solve. What we've seen in end demand, even if they're able to reduce demand by half, the only metric that matters is that violence against sex workers increased. You saw more sex workers die because they were more desperate than they had been before these laws were implemented. And the fact that their clients were criminalized provided them no protection from law enforcement. So when you criminalize clients, you make it easier for them to pose as predators, right? To tell somebody that they're not going to give them their real name because they're afraid of being arrested rather than they're trying to hide a violent history, right? Luring a sex worker to meet them in a more vulnerable location because they claim they're afraid of being caught by the police, not that they want to get you out of your comfort zone. And it's hard to tell the difference between someone who's scared and someone who's scary. So when you shift police focus on the demand side or the client side, all you end up achieving is making this business more dangerous for the people involved in it. Got it. And the back of that claim too, a 2014 paper by the National Bureau of Economics again, found a 31% decrease in rape and 39%, well, this is STD, but 39% fewer case of female gonorrhea after Rhode Island decriminalized indoor prostitution. You've heard about that? Yeah, absolutely. Rhode Island decriminalized indoor prostitution between 2003 and 2009. Uh, during a sort of combination of um, advocacy work on behalf of, uh, on the part of Coyote, uh, legislative kind of oversight and judicial decision. Uh, but between 2003 and 2009, it was widely known that indoor prostitution was not a crime. And during that period of time, you saw um, a dramatic reduction in the female homicide rate, which I think is remarkable, um, and in the uh, instances of gonorrhea. And all of this is backed up by the research that we see coming out of New Zealand, which fully decriminalized adult consensual sex work in 2003, um, and everything that we know that research from the World Health Organization and Amnesty International um, has backed up. And that's why they believe that listening to sex workers and stopping the arrests is the human rights approach here. All right. To make sure I have the definition right, when you say decriminalize indoor prostitution, is that just like being inside or... Yeah, I, we believe in decriminalizing all forms of prostitution, like no matter where they 
they happen. Uh, but what happened in Rhode Island was they decriminalized indoor prostitution. So outdoor solicitation or loitering for the purposes was still a crime in Rhode Island during those years. Got it. And uh, you mentioned New Zealand. I've found that eight countries in Europe actually have it legalized or decriminalized. And yeah, remember, those are not the same. Right, legally licensed brothels is a radically different situation than just not arresting adults for doing grown-up things with each other. Got it. And what has um, what have we seen with Amsterdam with the red light district? That's an example of a legalized and regulated system, but it's an example of a legal regulated system happening in a country that doesn't experience a lot of whorephobia. I would say that mostly what you see is power concentrated uh, in the hands of owners and managers. Uh, you see a fiercely competitive uh, market with sex workers you know, competing for space in the red light district. And increasingly, you know, you've seen uh, that the existence of the red light district and the sort of like uh, corralling of sex workers all into one geographic location has left them vulnerable to outside attacks. You know, there are moral squads and there is advocacy around shutting down uh, the red light district in Amsterdam. And so for all of those reasons, uh, I think that it's an imperfect model and isn't something that we should be trying to replicate. Got it. Okay, so I'm going to tell a little story. So uh, a few weeks back, maybe a month ago, I was going to have this girl on my show who was arrested, I forgot where, but, well, I couldn't share actually, even if I knew. She was arrested in a sex trafficking ring, and she was in jail for six years, where she ended up going clean from her drugs. And I was going to have her as anonymous, have her on the show, but to have her on the show and talk about the sex trafficking industry, I did some research, obviously, like on my podcast. So I went on the dark web. I used to show that to all the kids in high school, like, oh, look, I'm by DMT in the dark web. Look how cool I am. <laughs> but I went on the dark web, see if I could find out how to buy a girl. 20 minutes, I couldn't. But then I found out you can actually just go on the regular web and buy what's called an escort. So what can you tell me about an escort? I mean, yeah, sex work is a big umbrella term. That definitely means lots of different things to lots of different people. It includes, you know, all forms of prostitution, whether that prostitution is happening, uh, you know, on the side of the street or in a hotel room or in a brothel or in a massage parlor, uh, you know, stripping or different kinds of performance, whether those are peep shows, um, you know, or different different levels of uh uh, striptease performance, including burlesque, um, different sorts of pornographers, uh, fetish workers, BDSM workers. Um, you know, I'm trying to build a political movement, so I want to include Hooters waitresses. Uh, so there's a lot of different kinds of sex work that is considered sex work. Now you're asking about escorts in particular, and like what the what the fine print is on what that means. Is that the question? Yeah, isn't that just a legal version, or not legal, but I'll let you explain what it is. Sure. So, I mean, we arrest poor people uh, for doing crimes in this country, right? It's not like, uh, you know, poor folks smoke more weed uh, than rich people do. It's just that they get caught more often. And that's, that's certainly true in the sex trade um, as much as it's true in, in anything else, right? Um, and so escort is sort of a way to indicate high-end um, you know, so you're, you're dealing with a wealthier clientele. Uh, what escorts will say is that they are charging by the hour and not the act. Uh, you know, different kinds of sex work can be negotiated differently, right? Strip, strippers charge per song, for example. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a legal rigmarole that 
essentially indicates or tries to indicate that you, the sex worker, or you, the client, have access to lawyer money. And if you go after us, then it'll be a pain in your ass. And that's like a way to signal that uh, to cops. It's much easier for them to go after undocumented immigrants. I can see that. If we decriminalize uh, the sex work industry, how would that impact sex trafficking? Um, I think it's the only way to eliminate it, right? This is by decriminalizing sex work, you remove the incentives for the black market and you bring what was in the dark into the light. So now if somebody is being violently exploited by their employer, they can report that abuse to law enforcement without fearing arrest themselves. Or if a client uh, gets violent with them, or even if a boyfriend or domestic partner gets violent, then sex workers will be free to report those violent crimes committed against them without fearing this ridiculous charge for being a sex worker. So that, I think, will be the, the biggest impact of decriminalizing sex work, is taking it out of the black market and freeing up law enforcement to go after our shared enemy here, which are violent exploiters. Okay, bringing it back to what I searched up for arguments against, one of the ones I found is that when it became uh, decriminalized, a lot more immigrants would come to the Netherlands, and since they were illegal, it would therefore increase illegal prostitution. We haven't seen an increase in prostitution in New Zealand uh, since it was decriminalized in 2003, um, and that's the model that we would want to replicate here. Um, I, in terms of Amsterdam, I think what it sounds like is they institutionalized sort of a sex tourism model, which I do think is inevitable if you if you have like regulated, legalized systems. Like that's what they're trying to do in Nevada. Um, I could see that that would be what they're trying to do in the Netherlands. But if you just decriminalize it and you don't allow these monopolies or geographic monopolies to, to pop up, then it's a pretty stable economy. If this becomes a decriminalized, could we see like sort of monopolies or corporations come and make a big profit or dominate the industry? I, I hope not. I think that that is more likely in a legalized system where you require licensing or other or, or other things for like big players to try to monopolize and control but if you just stop arresting uh adults for engaging in consensual sexual activity with each other then it can stay in the sort of micro economy but if you force people to register or if you force sort of onerous regulations then you kind of force people to like download an app or go through whatever you know, third-party corporation is willing to take on that those regulatory burdens. Is that why you're for decriminalization versus legalizing? That's exactly why I'm for decriminalization versus legalization. I think that sex work is work, but it is also sex. And any effort to regulate it is an open invitation uh, for government agencies and regulators to poke into the consensual lives um, of adults. And I think that when you allow that, you're not living in a free society. Got it. My barber has the same view with weed. Different topic, but still decriminalized versus legalization. So yeah. another of the arguments is it's exploitative or you're taking advantage of these people that that basically can't find another job, so they're forced to become prostitutes or sex workers. I mean, if you think that prostitution is exploitative, boy, do I have bad news for you about capitalism. Um, yeah, like sex... It's, uh, work is the idea of doing things that you otherwise would not do 
for money. Um, I personally think that it is laughable to suggest that engaging in negotiated consensual sex with another adult is more exploitative than being a soldier or working in a mine or working with dangerous chemicals or working in a slaughterhouse. I think that there are a lot of examples of deeply exploitative, violent jobs in this country that we don't bat an eye at. So my question to somebody who would raise that is, are you really concerned with the safety and health of these supposedly poor sex workers, or are you interested in policing the sexuality of women? You said, um, again, like capitalism taking advantage in general. I saw a quote the other day, if you uh, have to earn a living, that means you don't deserve to live in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of better ways of organizing societies uh, than, you know, around what you can extract, the what value you can extract out of people. You know, and I think that we're starting to sort of brush up against the limitations of that. And this is building off of the moral argument or the uh, exploitative argument, but what do you think of the audience that says you shouldn't have sex until you're married? I, you know, I believe in personal choice and I would never get in the way or denigrate or, you know, uh, anybody who wanted to make that choice for themselves. I just don't want to live in a country that forces that, that legislates that because now, now we're living in a theocracy. Do you have any bad stories you can share about some other sex workers in the industry right now? I mean, I have some really terrible stories I can tell you about the time that I was working at Starbucks and all of the terrible things that happened there um but you know i don't like to share other people's trauma stories uh i invite people to check out um you know other people's podcasts or read their memoirs um but yeah i mean bad things have happened to me on in every job uh, i've worked in entertainment and politics uh and and sex work in the food industry so um, i've been exploited in all of the ways when you say starbucks was this relating to uh, sex work or was this just Starbucks in general? No, like literally working at Starbucks where my manager expected me to he to clean up human feces for $9 an hour. Uh, and I wouldn't consent to that, which was something that nobody would ever ask me to do uh, as a sex worker. <laughs> yeah. What did you say? Did you just like walk out or like just a straight up no? I, I mean, I, I, I said no. And then he told me that he, that I had to do that. And I told him that that no that was not true and yeah i walked off the job i don't blame you there yeah but it's like but we ask worker the only reason that i was able to walk off the job is because of my privilege you know like i uh, you know i i come from uh, a middle class financially stable family like i just knew that true abject poverty was not going to be my worst case scenario that my worst case scenario would be you know asking my parents for support but there are millions and millions, the, the overwhelming majority of people in this country don't have that option. And so they stand there and they clean up the poop from their manager at Starbucks. But this, you know, that dynamic is not unique or especially overrepresented in the sex industry. I think that we have this idea that like prostitution is this inherently exploitative thing and we can't see the exploitation that's happening all around us all of the time. Got it. So... I went on Feist.com and I read your article about the first time being paid for sex. Any anecdotes that you want to mention for the crowd? I mean, I encourage people to read it. I'm still proud of it. 
While going online, I found that prostitution is actually one of the most dangerous professions in the world. We're 204 out of every 100,000, this according to hg.org, are, well, are killed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the direct result of criminalization. I know that those stats aren't true in... Sorry, I just burped. Uh, I know that those uh, those stats are not true in, in New Zealand. I think the thing that makes sex work dangerous is not the sex. Uh, it's the fact that this is a criminalized and stigmatized profession. Serial killers, predatory police officers, predators of all kinds feel like they can, you know, essentially prey on sex workers, not because our work is especially dangerous, but because they think that society doesn't care about us. And in many times they're right. You know, there's a disgusting practice here in the U.S. of police departments marking NHI or no humans involved when the victim is a sex worker or a drug user or a homeless person. And that deprioritizes the cases. So serial killers, like the one that is still possibly running rampant on Long Island, you know, those cases go cold. Yeah, you got nowhere to go to. So basically those people, they are like, hey, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, sex workers in New York try to negotiate qualified immunity uh, in order to report evidence against an active serial killer who was working in Long Island. And Suffolk County police would not grant uh, sex workers who were anonymous that wanted to come forward with tips um, because they would rather arrest grownups for making each other come than an active serial killer. And that, I think, tells you everything that's wrong with the criminalization of prostitution in this country. I mean, maybe it is the same, but what about drug dealers? Do they get the same treatment thing or thing with New York? Yeah, I mean, I think that like when you're, look, when you're looking at a criminalized economy, there's more violence there. And I know that, like, for example, one of the most dangerous legal jobs that a woman can do is work at a liquor store, which is another kind of drug dealing that's, like, you know, on the the upside of the market. So it's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, drug dealers and sex workers um, had similar rates of violence committed against them. What do you think of OnlyFans and that's rise in the market? I mean, I think that OnlyFans is, uh, you know, I've never, I've never worked on it, so I wouldn't consider myself an authority on the platform. Uh, but I think it's an example of what happens when you push, uh, you know, there's been a massive disruption in our economy. So I think that people who have never turned to sex work before are, are turning to that now. I think that OnlyFans has been flooded uh, with new users um, and less demand because of, again, of what's happening with the economy. Um, and I think that the platform itself is disincentivized to protect sex workers. And so I think the new rules and regulations are about, uh, you know, part of a continued pattern of platforms that were built by sex workers uh, and for sex workers sort of trying to, to get rid of sex workers in order to protect themselves from, from liability. Right after the passage of Sesta Fosta in 2018, the Earn It Act is, of course, making its way, uh, you know, through um, through Congress. Uh, you know, I think big tech companies are looking at criminal markets like sex work, right, like drugs, like the dark web that you were talking about, and recognizing that these are uh, these are liabilities, right? That having this um, having so that sort of like further pushes sex workers underground, right? As as the spaces that we use to safely screen and schedule clients disappear, we turn to other 
darker corners of the internet uh, or literal corners uh, to ply our trade. What's the Earn It Act? I've heard that on the news. Yeah, the Earn It Act is it's an anti-privacy law that's being pushed through by Senator Lindsey Graham under the guise of cracking down on um, child sex trafficking and pornography. But it essentially would, would try to end the practice of end-to-end encryption um, and giving government a backdoor to, to peek into all of our correspondence. Um, yeah, which of course has, I think, a lot of predictable uh, negative outcomes. Got it. I believe I'm out of questions. Is there any final message for the audience that you'd like to share? I mean, sure. Uh, you know, I really, I encourage folks to check out my podcast, uh, The Oldest Profession. New episodes are available now. Um, and to rethink what they think they know about this issue. You know, it's it's interesting to me that a society that recognizes that this is the oldest profession also holds on to the lie that it can only be one thing. Sex and work are both many things to many people, and nobody was ever actually helped uh, by being put in handcuffs. All right. Well, then, thanks for coming out. This is The Way Podcast. For more, go to podcasttheway.com. And as always, deuces. Thanks for having me. Thank you.